You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Thank you for listening to the Nick Luck Daily Podcast. It's Tuesday the 25th of July. Sorry, I'm coming to you a bit later than usual today. It may just be the afternoon by the time you're listening to this. Uh, Charlotte Greenway again in for Nick. I've swapped around with Tom Stanley, so he'll be with you now tomorrow instead. More King George discussion on today's podcast to come with input from David Redvers on how the race is just what Kipco have been aiming for since they took over the sponsorship. And also George Bowie runs us through the running plans for some of his string over the weekend before this week's Weatherby segment encourages us to once again swoon over new sire sensation Justify as Nick talks to his breeder Tanya Gunter. Rishi Passad is alongside me today and Rishi, I've just checked the King George entries for Saturday and William Buick is now jocked up aboard Sir Michael Stout's Desert Crown. Does this come as any surprise to you? Um, not after reading the fact that William Buick had been uh, aboard Desert Crown in a piece of work. Um, but I guess given the fact that Richard Kingscott was the man who rode him uh, to win the derby... Um, personally i would have liked to see richard king's retain the ride um but i understand ultimately the owners pay the bills they do what they want and in this instance you know obviously they were going to replace richard king's at royal ascot had the horse taken part there um with frankie the tory uh, and now they've chosen william buick not surprised that from all the rest of the jockeys available that william buick is the go-to jockey even though james Doyle had obviously written winners uh for the owner in the past but william buick is the current champion jockey he's comfortably clear at the moment in the race for the uh, Jockeys Championship this year and he's riding brilliantly so it's an understandable decision um, given all those um, bits of information and the context of everything that's going on but on a personal level I would have stuck with Richard Kingscote. And just focusing on Desert Crown, you are, of course, Sir Michael Stout's biggest fan and maybe Desert (laughs) Crowns too. Um, Will you be sticking with him this weekend? I would... Again, um, it's very uh, sort of sentiment more than anything else. I'd love to see him. Uh, apart from obviously being a Sir Michael Stout fan, I'm also a big fan of what I still think is the pinnacle of flat racing, and that's the Derby. So I'm hoping for big runs from both August Rodan and King of Steel from this year's race. But I'd also like to see for the legacy of the Derby, the, the horse that's kept in training. I mean, Adar obviously remained in training after winning the, the Derby and the King George as a three-year-old, but it's fair to say things haven't gone smoothly for him, both as a four-year-old and as a five-year-old. So far, things haven't gone smoothly for Desert Crown either since he won the Derby. And I would like to see Desert Crown come out with a very strong performance on Saturday in the King George, just to encourage people that, have in future derby winners that it's worth keeping them around giving them another season to race um selfishly because it's great to see good horses continue but also because you know traditionally it's quite nice seeing generations compete against other generations that's what we've got this year in the king george we've got this year's derby form tested against last year's derby form albeit with the wait for age um allowances 
And just on that basis, I'd love to see a big run from Desert Crown so that this is something that will continue in years to come. Um, and I, I'm sure he's going to run a big race. I'm sure he'll come on for the run at Sandown. It seemed to me that all was going perfectly well until Hockham swept past. But it felt, it felt like Desert Crown needed that run. And why not? It was his first run since the derby. So I expect things to be closer between the two of them. And it's, it's possible that might be the race in which to concentrate on form-wise. But I'm not adamant because it's such a good race. It's such a deep race. Um, there is no there is no way that I think anybody can be clear that one horse stands head and shoulders above the others. But it's possible that on Saturday, something might end up doing that after the race is run. Well, Sheikh Farhad's Kipco obviously sponsor the King George on Saturday and his racing manager, David Redvers, joins me now. David, looking at the field, it could well be one of the races of the season. You must be absolutely delighted. Well, it's, it's been a it's been a, an interesting and slightly frustrating race as sponsors because although we've had some amazing headline horses over the time that we sponsored, probably the you know I suppose Enable being one of our favourite, it's um, it's it's often attracted a small, very select field. And this is the first time that it has had any serious depth that, that I can remember in, in recent years. I mean, it's uh, quite extraordinary. There are nine Group 1 winners entered in the race, and none of them are favourite. Um, you know, you've got you've got the, the young pretender, but the fact that you've got some of the real old and bold horses in there as well, um, Hookham and Piledriver, who obviously won it last year, and they're, um, and they're sort of fairly long prices considering, so... It's uh, it's a fascinating renewal. Yeah, and it, it'll certainly attract plenty of attention, won't it? I mean, it's got the Derby winners from the last two years, um, and and a sort of fascinating clash between the generations as well—the three-year-olds and four-year-olds and upwards. Yeah, it's. I mean, I, I was just talking to Adam Brooks in my office about you know the weight advantage that the three-year-olds have got um, this time of the year and. Whether whether we expect a three-year-old to outperform the older horses when the older horses this year are, are you know in such good form, um, it's, it's just a, it's you can really see this year to throwing up one of the all-time great um, finishes again. You know we've been we've been so lucky with this race ever since Grundy and Bastino sort of held a place in the public's affection because of the ability to throw up a massive generational battle and a and a and a you know a, a battle of the ages really um and a finish of the ages so oh, yeah it's quite something to get your, get your get your teeth into it is, and it's a deserved field as well because the prize money that Kipco have put into this race, it's a total prize pot of £1.25 million. Um, this must have almost been the aim for Kipco to get races like this when they started their sponsorship. I mean, the main thing when we when we came into the sponsorship was to ensure that the, the race kept its place right up there as the, as the mid-season highlight. Um, you know, having the Derby winner take on the first proper opportunity for a derby winner to take on um, the older generation over that trip is obviously, you know, you, you pray for a, a clash of the titans like like next Saturday. But, I mean, we've never, even, you know, prize money hasn't necessarily meant big fields and it certainly hasn't meant um, fields with this depth up till now. You tend to get, you know, the best older horse taking on the derby winner or one of the derby winners. Um, but this year we've really got... Um, 
I mean, it's just an extraordinary field. Uh, I, I, wouldn't if you put on. I mean, let's be honest. It's a field absolutely worthy of, a, of an arc or whatever. So it's um, it couldn't really be any happier. Whether the prize money has been responsible for that, I couldn't argue. It, it's really a. It seems to be the sportsmanship of the owners as much as anything. Um, the fact that they all believe that they've got a, a horse capable of winning, and and let's be honest, the betting pretty much reflects that. Um, as I said, you've got nine Group 1 winners in the field and none of them are favourite. It's um, it's an incredibly even-looking contest. And uh, come Saturday, if you had to pick the winner, who would you be looking towards? Um, I mean, I, you can't get away from the fact that King of Steel was visually very impressive at Ascot and it looks like um, he's he's massively on the upgrade. Um, but an and August Rodin obviously is the as the class horse and wasn't suited by the pace at, at um, in Ireland, but I mean I think Hookham is is absolutely proved on the ground. Emily Upjohn's top rated on time form. Desert Crown probably got there a bit early, but um, whether he's quite up to it. Pile drivers won the race and, you know, and has come back looking as good as ever, but he'll have to put up a career best. I actually can't pick the winner, and I suppose. Um, well, as I say, I go back to my form expert in the office, Adam. He, he's picked out Hookham. Um, I have to say, I wouldn't necessarily have done. I, I think that King of Steel might just come up, come up trumps. It certainly will be interesting to see who comes out on top on Saturday. Just looking ahead to next week, Glorious Goodwood. Have you got any runners of interest there? Yeah, well, we, we, we're madly awaiting the um, the reappearance of Running Lion. Um, she's she's currently still in the Nassau um, and last time I spoke to John and Thady it was very much their plan to go there um, obviously she we had a, we started off the season looking like we have a potential superstar on our hands and then she's um, something's frightened her at Epsom and she's kicked the gate and um, run out backwards and then they've gone without her and then in France um, we had a we had a, an interesting circumstance where she ran no race at all we seem John is adamant that he, he's worked out what happened and that she, because of the carry-on in the stall, although she's basically got the most amazing temperament and has never done a thing wrong, they took no precautions with her in the Diane and she wore a hood and she wore a Monty Roberts coat. But as you may remember, it was um, the race was run just before the storm broke and it was unbelievably hot and humid. And after the race, she was panting like a dog and had clearly overheated. And this is very much the Gosden team's view is that she um, she just basically got overheated at the start and couldn't run her race accordingly. But she's been pleasing them enormously since. But obviously, the Nassau looks like an unbelievable contest again, um, not least because the Gosden team have half the, whole, half the field. But um, certainly, the last I spoke to him, he was keen to go there. And that would be very exciting to see her get back on um, on target yeah it certainly would um she did look a top class filly at the start of the season well david thank you so much for your time this morning um and can't wait for the king george this weekend thanks very much speak soon well scanning through the undercard at ascot on saturday i noticed that george bowie has some interesting runners 
And the one that really caught my eye was Soprano in The Princess Margaret. But actually, she's been declared this morning for Sandown on Thursday in a listed race over seven furlongs. George joins me on the line now. George, this filly, of course, missed her last engagement at Newmarket because of a medication mix-up. She was favourite for the Group 3 on Saturday. So what's the thinking behind the decision to run on Thursday instead? Uh, Yeah, look, she's come out of Ascot in great shape and obviously wanted to go to Newmarket, but that didn't happen. I've I've always had her as a as a filly who's who's going to want to go over a bit more ground, and it just looked a for me it looked a weaker option. Um, and I think the seven furlongs there, slightly stiffer track, should suit her. She's she's bred to get the mile, and and I think that's probably where she'll end up at sort of the end of the year, really. And just that medication mix-up, did she miss any work because of it or was it just the fact that it was in her system and she couldn't run within that period? No, she didn't miss anything. She actually worked on the morning of the of the race and um, and worked super through the dip at Newmarket. And um, no, I think she'd have gone very close. Uh, the ground's probably a little question mark with her. Um, she's by Star Spangle Banner and, you know, has a pretty fast ground family. Um but look, I, I couldn't be happier with her. She's she's training great and all systems go, really. You mentioned the sort of mild targets towards the end of the year and that she's fast ground pedigree. Something like the Breeders' Cup, is that ultimately what you're looking at? It could be. Um, she's a very well-balanced filly and, you know, I think I think a mile around the bends of Santa Anita could be right up her street and she's... She's been a very relaxed filly and I've sort of dropped her in the last couple of starts. And I think we'll see her slightly forward placed. Um, she's well drawn in three at Sandown and we all know you want to be closer to the speed there than, than say you do at Ascot. So I look very happy with her. And um, the races, you know, Rockfells have got to be on the sort of radar for her. And um, she could possibly follow a pretty similar path to Cache out to, out to America in November. And then this weekend, um, Baradar or Spangled Mac, are either of them likely to head for the Heritage Handicap on Saturday at Ascot? Yeah, it looks like um, with the weather the way it is, I'd imagine we'll see Baradar. Um, they may well both be declared. Um, Spangled Mac, another star Spangled Banner, I don't think really wants too slow a ground. He wheel spun in it last year and we've you know tried to keep away from that where possible. But Baradar's a horse who... He's threatening to win one of these big handicaps and, you know, he very nearly won the Lincoln. It had been a very short price in running and just didn't get home over the mile on, on very soft ground and um, ran well in the Victoria Cup and then the ground was far too fast for him at Ascot and it was worth a chance. But, um, you know, if, if he gets a bit of ease in the ground, I'd say he'd, he'd go there with a very good each way chance. And quickly, just an update on Via Sestina. Firstly, what did you make of her run in the Falmouth? Yeah, she's she's come out of the race good. Um, just giving her a short break. She she hasn't had a saddle on her back since, and she's about to go out and, and trot for the first time. And she, I think she just got tapped her toe. Really, was the main thing. Um, she's a filly who hit the line very strong in in the Pretty Polly. And I actually watching that race back. You know, if you stop the race at the two furlong marker, she was just about to get into full stride. So, you know, Jamie was very quick to say after the race that she she could almost you know, she's so versatile she could step up to the mile and a half or could come back and trip and um yeah look we'll we'll probably miss goodwood with her that's the plan at the moment and um head to dover for the romanet is the, is the 
last four-year-old and above Philly's only group one. So that's probably where we'll see her next. She's just shown that quirk of sort of hanging late on. Is that just her and it's just not really a sign of anything? It's just what she's always done? I think so. I, she she did, hung for, did hang for quite a big part of the race at Newmarket and we've um, had a good look over her and hopefully she might be able to be helped a little bit and um, hope we won't see that again. But it's, yeah, it's obviously a, a little bit of a concern, but... I think back up to 10 furlongs, she'll just be able to travel that bit better. And I think she was almost hanging away from possibly being being flat out the last day. So, um, yeah, hopefully it's something we can iron out and see her, see her back to her best. But she's still third in the Falmouth. And, and if someone had told me that was going to happen at the start of the year, I, I wouldn't have believed them. So um, she's tough filly and, and plenty more to come. Well, George, thanks so much for your time this morning and best of luck on Thursday and also this weekend. Cool. Thanks so much. Rishi Passad is back with me and Rishi, news from Ireland yesterday is that jockey Gerard Bruder has picked up a four-year ban. What's going on there? Yes, he picked up a four-year ban for testing positive for metabolite of cocaine. Um, that was at Gorham Park back in May uh, and it was for following a ride um, which he'd already picked up a ban for, or sorry, he picked up punishment for. So a horse called Elat ran on the 10th of May at Goran. Um, and after the race, the stewards found that both Charles Burns, who trained the horse, and Gerard Broder were in breach of the running and riding of uh, Rule 212, so that they said that they, the horse was deliberately or recklessly um, caused or permitted uh, not to run on its merits. Um, Charles Burns picked up a £6,000 fine for that. The horse has been prevented from running for 90 days and Gerard Bruder was uh, given a three-week suspension and forfeited his riding fee. Now it's emerged that he tested positive for metabolite of cocaine on the same day as he picked up that ban. Uh, so he's been hit with a four-year ban. Um, the last three years, um, it has a possibility of that being suspended. He can reapply to have that suspension uh, served uh, or brought into effect after 12 months. But it also must be remembered that he's also had his training license withdrawn for 12 months um, because of irregularities um, from a stable inspection last September, whereby he'd moved premises and hadn't informed um, the IHRB. So it's a very messy situation. And in all honesty, looking at now the record that Geroy Bruder is compiling, it's it's not a pleasant one. It's not doesn't make for pleasant reading. Um, and ultimately, to be hit with a four-year ban for testing positive with cocaine, it's it's bad enough. But the fact that it involved the ride, which has already picked up a ban uh, because the horse has not been deemed to run on its merits, it makes it a very messy situation. And in all honesty, it's all it's pretty murky for Geroy Bruder. And more positive news from the UK from a jockey's perspective. Anyway, uh, yesterday the BHA announced that they have accepted that Sean Levy did not take a prohibited substance in relation to his non-negative saliva test at Sandown last September. Uh, Good news for Sean Levy. It is good news for Sean Levy. And in fairness, it was something that everyone felt at the time uh, was always going to come out. I mean, it's a it's to do with the saliva test, which, in all honesty, had already had one or two issues. So basically, uh, last season at Sandown, Sean Levy uh, was tested for a sal- given a saliva test, 
and it was found to be positive at the time um, for an amphetamine. Um, Sean Levy was stunned by that. He requested a urine test afterwards, and the subsequent test resulted in the fact that he he was clear, clean and clear. Um, but obviously, he was stood down for eight days whilst that uh, first test had been done. Um, and at the time, if I remember correctly, he was in line for a shot at the Racing League prize of £20,000 for the leading rider. Mm. Um, and obviously, he had to be stood down for that. He missed rides, etc. Um I think that the the, uh, the issue with the saliva test is one that's that is one that the BHA have now uh, accepted, and it was something that they had actually taken a pause on um, following what happened with Sean Levy uh, last September. Um, but looking at Sean Levy's situation, it's I, I would imagine that there is a possible case for some sort of mm. compensation, considering the fact that you know it was something that the BHA have now felt that they needed to pause. Um, and also he had done nothing wrong, yet he was stood down for riding from eight days, including missing out on that racing league uh, finale. So it is possible. I mean, I'm no legal expert, but I can imagine that that would be a potential course of action, some sort of compensation for having to miss those eight days for having done absolutely nothing wrong. And obviously, Sean Levy at the time was concerned, a few jockeys were concerned about the fact that these saliva tests um, had led to sort of, you know, a tainting of a reputation. Um, and so it wasn't a very pleasant situation for Sean Levy, particularly financially, and also reputationally. So um, a couple of things that perhaps the BHA ought to retrospectively address um, in regards to Sean Levy and the fact that he was clear um, from the outset. Yeah, because they were a pilot, weren't they? A pilot scheme. So obviously it was a trial um, and errors are made. But as you say, the amount that it maybe cost Sean Levy in riding fees mm. for a week, but more importantly, um, on the, the Racing League finals champion jockey prize, he must feel aggrieved and pretty hard done by. Yeah, I mean, he can't obviously go back in time and change any of that. But um, because of an error that was out of his control, nothing that he uh, did wrong, he had to sit on the sidelines and suffer uh, financially during that spell. So I think it's something that certainly ought to be uh, considered. I mean, you know, and like I said, I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but um, just in terms of what is fair and just, it's certainly a, a question to be asked. Yeah, and I'm sure that is something he's think, thinking about. I know he uh, gave us all his statements said in the to the Racing Post was, I'm glad it's all over. Um, so mm. he's possibly just watching what he says for the time <laughs> being while he mulls it all over. Yes, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's possible that he might just want to put the whole thing behind him and carry on. Um, but I would also suspect that, um, you know, anyone who looks after his interests, because um, he's a very busy man, um, now that he can ride again, um, that they may be well considering that, you know, there should be some some sort of consideration given to the fact that um, he was stood down uh, due to no fault of his own for eight days. All right, it is Tuesday, so we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherbees. And we should just mention that entries are being taken for the next edition of the Stallion Book. In that Stallion Book, I suspect you might find a horse who is currently 
the thoroughbred stallion sensation of the world and who has had a plenty of play on this podcast and everywhere else over the last couple of weeks, for which we make no apology, the 2018 Triple Crown winner in North America. Justify, uh, you saw City of Troy, you've heard me rave. You saw Ramatuel, you heard Christopher Head last week. Hard to Justify was a very impressive winner at Saratoga over the weekend. Justify also has the leading two-year-old in Canada. He's the leading first-season sire in Australia. He's doing it on dirt and turf at all distances and all over the world. And it seemed an apposite moment to check in with Justify's breeder, uh, Tanya Gunter, who joins me now. Tanya, her father, John, uh, own and run Glenwood Farm of Versailles, Kentucky. Uh, Tanya is joining me from her, her base in Paris this morning. And I'd imagine, Tanya, that notwithstanding all the success you've had with lots of other horses and all the homegrown talent you've got to look forward to, um, justify flying the flag for your farm in perpetuity must give you untold pleasure. Just just tell me how it feels. I mean, justify has taken us on such a ride, um, you know, through the Triple Crown. It was, you know, I was speechless a lot of the time at what he was doing, especially having had such little experience going into the Triple Crown. And then he received tremendous books. So, you know, the pressure was pressure was on for him to perform and to see him do what he has been doing in Australia and now in Europe with the top rated Colt and the top rated Philly and City of Troy and Ramachuel. It's just those were breathtaking performance. And that's what inspires me to go back and look at the pedigrees and try to try to create something like that. Those performances, who no matter who they are by, are just you know, just give, give you some shivers, you know, and the fact that they're by Justify, I mean, it sure makes you happy. <laughs> uh, it might be worth just going going right back and trying to work out exactly how you created a horse that wasn't just a triple crown winner, but that now appears to have the potential with those books and with Coolmore's Drive to, to, to make him a breed shaper. How, how have you created this horse? What are the genetics that have that have that have made this happen? Well, that would be a very long conversation, but I will say when when I thought about this mating for Stage Magic to Scat Daddy, I was it was one of those matings that I I'm very excited to see what the result is because I love I loved a lot about how it looked on paper and and what it might bring physically and you know it's just a dream that it actually came to fruition into something exciting because very often you get excited about something um, when you're breeding and it doesn't work out um, it's more often than not really generally speaking so for him to you know um, become what he has off of a mating that was the the one I was most excited about that year is um, it's just uh, it's amazing you know it gives you a bit of uh, confidence in what you're doing um, as you know he's by Scad Daddy um, he's out of the Go Sapper mare and the second downs by pulpit so I really always from the start thought that he might be a crossover stallion and that is one thing that we have in our program is is breeding crossover type pedigrees where they might get dirt they might get turf um and and justify what he has done so far is proving exactly that and and he's getting it at all distances as well from six furlongs to 10 furlongs you know and um and across jurisdictions it's just it's really a kind of a dream come true you just can't you can't plan for it you just do what you can and hope for it but he has been you know everything you could imagine 
it's funny because I was I was wandering back into the depths of uh, of Justify's pedigree and, and to found a, to 22 years ago a two year old of Aidan O'Brien's called Shah Jahan who was the biggest talking horse in Bally Doyle I think of of that year and I think it might have even been Johannesburg's uh, two year old crop as well Johannesburg of course who was the who was the sire of uh, of Scat Daddy? It's amazing how these things keep keep cycling back, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I love going down into the many generations of the of the pedigrees, and um, you know, a lot of people look five or six generations back. I like to look even further back. Um, you know, it's I just find it fascinating, and um, <laughs> I, I don't know, maybe I'm a bit of a pedigree geek or whatever, but um, I just find it very interesting to look at, you know, repetition of certain ancestors and try to figure out what what influences will come through with the mating that that you plan you know um and sometimes sometimes you you see um that it does come through exactly kind of what you thought and other times it it doesn't and sometimes you can breed the same mare to the same stallion and get a different result which tells you it tells you that there's some element of of luck and and genetics are not something you can entirely you know plan for when you're doing these matings um and sometimes you have to do the matings twice um unfortunately we didn't get that chance with um stage magic with the passing of scat daddy but i would have loved to have obviously breed her back so how have you managed this this family subsequently well, Stage Magic, um, it, you know, last year we sold a curling out of the of the out of the mare as a yearling, and he went to Japan. Um, I don't think he's had a start yet. Um, we have a Mendelssohn filly out of the mare, um, who's a yearling who we will keep um, for future breeding purposes. That was, you know, trying to get the Scat Daddy line back in again, and he was a very he is a very well bred son of Scat Daddy, unproven, however, um, and she is now in full to into mischief um which is you know again the storm cat line whilst not scat daddy obviously um but the storm cat line and um the, you know the best dying in america really so um very exciting to to have that fall on the ground safely next year and I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your your european interest as they stand now um and I know you and and your father John are, are just as passionate about racing horses here as you are in in the United States, and you love that crossover between the disciplines. And I was saying last week just how exciting it is to have a American Dirt Triple Crown with it being such an important um, progenitor of, of turf horses. Uh, talk to me a little bit about how without paroles getting on uh, as a stallion, because next year we'll be talking about his his first two year olds. Yeah, without parole, I mean, he. it was so incredible to have him win the St. James's Palace Stakes at Royal Ascot after Justify had just completed, um, successfully, you know, completed the Triple Crown. I mean, we went to the races and I thought, gee whiz, it's just not possible for him to do that. You know, like how, you know, how lucky could we get? And um, it wasn't until he was coming down the stretch and I thought, holy, you know, this horse might just do it. Um, and that, you know, I mean, his victory was just like, wow. And put my dad on, you know, planet stars, you know, like into the stars with such an incredible feat. Um, our first runner at Royal Ascot is our first winner, you know, and in such a, you know, 
such a big race as the St. James's Palace Stakes. And so we've been very much looking forward to his first foals, which are now yearlings. Um, and he's, he'll have his first yearlings going to the sale this year. Um, his first foal sold very well. Um, Frankel's been on fire. I mean, what a stallion. I mean, he's a breed shaper as well, right? So to have, uh, you know, one of the first sons of Frankel at stud, um, Cracksman, um, another of, uh, son of Frankel, is off to a very good start with a, a group group one winner recently um and so you you have to have a lot of hope for a group one winning mile or son of frankel you know and um from from our foundation family we have also you know bred a number of our mares to him and and have some very nice foals so you know one mare for example i think her best foal is the without parole full of the various meetings we've done for her and she's been to some six-figure stallions so when you see something like that it really gives you some excitement about what without parole could do as a stallion i can only guess the the sort of level of enthusiasm that you know you've always had in this game is you know has never been higher what are what are the sort of immediate plans for for glenwood or do you just carry on in much the same vein I mean, one could think about doing things differently, bigger, better, whatever. But um, with Glenwood, we've always tried to strive for doing things better, not bigger. So constantly trying to improve the quality and of what we're doing, um, trying to get, you know, towards a high end with with all of our our mares you know you always have a a group of mares some unproven some proven and you just have to constantly refine what you're doing and and keep striving to to produce another horse like justify i mean odds are against us of course because producing a horse like him is is such a small possibility that you can do it but we we we've done it and and we have that um model out there to, to sort of aim for and and we just have to keep doing what we're doing um as is my view on it and just keep trying to be better um and not make oh, the mistake i think of of trying to be bigger just um sticking to what we know and trying to do, do it better with higher quality mares higher quality stallions just keeping the focus you know Tanya, thanks so much for your time this morning. Thanks very much. Well, Rishi, I can't believe we've spoken about some of the weekend action and not spoken about what's going on in France this weekend because your Royal Ascot scorer is off there hoping to land a Group 1. Yes, Rogue Millennium. She's due to run in the pre-Rothschild at Deauville on the weekend. Um, her first run at a Group 1 over a mile. Uh, obviously, off the back of Royal Ascot, we're all very hopeful of a big run, but I don't know who's going to ultimately line up for the race. But um, by all accounts, the Rogues tell me that she's going very well and that um, you know she's blossomed and she's having a great summer, obviously, and she's thrived since the win. All the I, I, I don't know if I can think of any more cliches to add. She's bouncing. What else can? What, do, what else do they normally say? Um, she's thriving. She's done very well, all those things. Um, but it's just a question of who else turns up. I mean, hopefully... Um, there'll be an opportunity for for a decent gallop. All I'd like is a, a decent gallop in the race and that she settles and then she can finish off her race as she did at Ascot uh, and hopefully um, get in the money. Who knows? Maybe put her head in front. That would be awesome. 
And if they get a bit of rain, would that worry you, or are you happy? Funny enough, I've spoken to Tom Clover about this um, a couple of times, and I mentioned to him about even you know later in the season what might be targets, and I'd be slightly jittery about the ground. And he, he he's not that bothered. He's not as bothered about things uh, about ground. He's happy with her. He thinks she's versatile enough according to the ground, you know, according to ground conditions. His only concern that, um, was that last year as a three-year-old, obviously she started off, she made her debut as a three-year-old um, at Weatherby and then she sort of progressed through the middle part of the summer, winning at Lingfield and then ran well in the Oaks and then the, ran well at Newcastle and then slightly tailed off a little bit after sort of, you know, late summer into the autumn season. So his thing was hopefully just keeping her fresh and well because obviously she had that run at Kempton earlier in the season then she went to France obviously ever further and then um, when she dropped back to when she dropped back to Amala Ascot produced her best run so I'm hoping that the tr- drop back and trip as much as anything else has been the key to her best form and hopefully she remains in good form but as I say you know the reports from the rogues and from Tom uh, all signs are that she's she's very well so fingers crossed for a good run on Sunday. And with reports like that, you must be going, are you? Uh, no, my daughter is taking part in a dancing event in London. Um, so uh, having missed her last one because I was working, I can't in any way <laughs> avoid this one. Um, and obviously I'd rather be there anyway to see my daughter dance. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Did what? that sound convincing? <laughs> Well, as long as they, as long as they've got some four G, you can get it up on the phone. It'll be no problem. I I certainly hope so, and also hoping for an exit out to just at the time that she runs. So, uh, fingers crossed. And um, just before you go, have you got a tip for us this weekend or today? Um, I'm going to have a little dip at something today, only because um, just looking through the runners on the all weather, I quite quite fancy a little tickle each way on Porfin of Phil McEntee's Josephine Gordon riding in the seven o'clock at uh, Wolverhampton. It's just a sort of horse that you feel you can count on. And I thought it was a decent each way price. So um, Paul Finn at the seven o'clock at Wolverhampton, a little each way tickle. We'll be following that one closely this afternoon. Thanks for all your input today, Rishi. And thanks to all my guests. Tom Stanley will be in tomorrow. Have a lovely rest of the day. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.